Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a really quick reminder that the second season of Ruins of Empire is just about to get rolling, and to help support it and the Ruins of Empire series in general, I've got a pre-release campaign rolling on Kickstarter.com. Just go there, search for Ruins of Empire before October 23rd, and reserve your paperback or hardback copy of Ruins of Empire 2, Templum Venerous. Or you can just throw in a dollar and help keep this free podcast novel out there for people to find. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones. Read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. As the forest people and the corporation lined up outside the city walls in preparation for the coming battle, Isra, Althea, and Vago rushed to the center of the city, where the Houston was rallying the Urbanoi citizens. Isra tried to reason with him, but in the end, neither the Houston nor the people of the city would listen to her warnings. The only thing left to do was to prepare for the coming battle that was now inevitable. Chapter 15 The initial attacks against the corporation were little more than terrorist actions. Guerrilla warfare perpetrated by a handful of radicals in order to lure the mercenary stormtroopers into an unwinnable war. All great civilizations fear being seen as weak in the eyes of their enemy. Hundreds of great empires throughout human history have ripped themselves apart just to avoid being seen as weak. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff Vago stood atop the wall again, looking out over the grassy plains. In the sky over the trees, the sun crept behind the rings of Saturn. The refracting light caused a kind of surreal shimmering effect across the field below. A whole army gathered there now, at least a thousand marines and perfunduloi warriors, by Vigo's estimation, standing in formation in the open field. The perfunduloi units were easy to pick out. Their rough, brown clothing and loose formations stood out in stark contrast to the tight lines of the marines in the corporation blues that surrounded the railguns. The Perfunduloi warriors made up the front lines and were organized in groups of a hundred or more. They lined up in several formations, twenty wide and three or four deep. Vago saw the glint of metal from the peasant guns in the formation that stood front and center. The rest had spears and bows and arrows. The same types of weapons Vago saw on the dead outside the spaceport. Looking at the way the army amassed outside the gates filled Vega with a kind of sadness. Whatever they had done to the people of the city over the years, whatever needless slaughter occurred over the centuries between these two people, nobody deserved this. The marines were using these people as sacrificial animals. To them, they were just hunks of raw meat to be thrown into the grinder of war, so that a handful of people, sitting in gleaming towers of metal and glass, could reap the rewards. He was quickly taken with the urge to protect the Perfunduloi armies along with the city. But with what army exactly? He glanced back on the city side of the wall. The Houston's people gathered behind the gates. Not just soldiers, but ordinary citizens arrived in droves to wait anxiously. 
Vega had seen them on his way to the wall. The deadliest thing any of them carried were short blades and clubs. Most carried bullet snares and nets. This wasn't even bringing a knife to a gunfight. This was showing up at a gunfight with a sack and hoping somebody falls into it. Vega was on his own out there, and that meant that he needed to focus on the biggest threat and work down. The relatively small platoon armed with the peasant gun wasn't the problem right now. With the right show of force, the untrained warriors would likely panic and flee. The railguns were another issue. He could clearly see four of them now, just a few hundred meters from the trees. They were well behind the lines of native soldiers and guarded by tight groups of corporation marines. They wouldn't expect the battle to break past the front lines, which, to Vago's mind, made them vulnerable. Vago became aware that someone was climbing the stairs to the top of the city walls. He turned around to see Althea approach with a downcast, solemn expression, as if she were walking up to view his corpse at his funeral. She gave Vago a soft little smile that made his heart beat just a little faster. You come up with a plan, then? Vago turned back to the armies gathered out front. Yep. Charge out. Single-handedly route the army. Save the day. Be back in time for pie. There will be pie, right? Althea approached the parapet. Her brow furrowed when she saw the army massed outside. They are just lined up out in the open. Vago adjusted his hat. Car must be in charge. Laban strikes me as the type that would wait and shoot an unarmed man in the back. But Sergeant Carr? If he's got strength in numbers, he damn well wants to show it. Some commotion within the Perfinduloi army caught Vago's eye. A few runners sprinted from formation to formation, and wherever they went, the ranks of warriors tightened. From this vantage, it was like watching the muscles of a predator tense as it readied itself to pounce. Vago knew that his body should be flooding with adrenaline, his muscles should be tensing, and he should be basking in the rush of fear and anticipation. Instead, he felt nothing. Althea, you should go, said Vago, surprised at the monotone in his own voice. But before you do, I need to ask you a favor. Sure, said Althea in a low, comforting tone. I need another shard of Triple T. Althea rolled her eyes. Really? Is that all you can think about right now? More drugs? Triple T makes me sharp. It makes me fast. How I move, how I react, and how I think. Everything happens at a Latin pace. When I'm on the T, it's like the rest of the world waits for me. I ain't gonna survive down there without it. Althea grabbed Vago by his broad shoulders and turned him around so she could look into his eyes. You will be fine. You hear me? This is the first step. Once you realize you don't need that horrible stuff anymore, you can start getting better. Vago started to protest. But he heard a distinct sound in the distance. Those railguns took a few minutes to heat up and build enough charge to fire. During that time, the gun made a high-pitched whine that was almost beyond the range of human perception. The attack was going to happen at any moment. Vago grabbed Althea by the arms and started to lead her to the stairs. It's too late. Get down now. Run back to the pyramid. If this goes bad, you will need to get Isra and Kronos somewhere safe and get them out of the city. Go! Now! Althea looked like she wanted to argue, but she glanced at the army outside the gates and did as she was told. Vega watched her descend the steps out of sight 
Vago stretched his arms. He could feel the arrow suit underneath his clothing, pulling his muscles with every movement. It was a device made to feel like he was still on Earth, but it had its limits. Vago backed up on the platform as far as he could. Hopefully Althea was right about him and the Triple T. He took a running leap off the edge of the wall. He sailed through the air in a wide arc. That was the first limitation of the arrow suit. It could compensate for Titan's lack of gravity, but it couldn't change it. On this planet, he could still move like a superhuman. He landed and rolled on the soft ground. He didn't pause, but ended back on his feet and started sprinting as hard as he could. The suit tore at his muscles, trying to resist them. It felt like sandpaper being run underneath his skin, but he pressed forward as hard as he physically could. That was the second limitation of the arrow suit. It could keep a person born on Earth on check on Titan, but Vega wasn't born on Earth. He had grown up on a planet that had a fraction of the atmosphere that Earth did, and Titan had twice the oxygen of Earth. His muscles worked harder and more efficient than they ever had in his life. The suit could compensate for your average sedentary engineer, but not for a Martian warrior. He saw a rock poking up among the grass and ran towards it. He sprinted to the top, pushed off, and caught incredible altitude. He realized, at the height of his arc, that he had miscalculated his jump. He had hoped to get high and far enough to clear a group of Perfunduloi warriors. He could land, roll, sprint, and jump again. The third jump would get him close to the first railgun. Instead, he realized he was about to land right in the middle of those warriors. He fell into the middle of the group, knocking over a few warriors as he rolled. He used the momentum to get to his feet and found himself face to face with a visibly surprised Perfunduloi man. For just a split second, the two men looked into each other's faces. The warrior had a scraggly beard and long, unkempt hair. If Vago imagined what humans looked like before cities, agriculture, and civilization domesticated them, this is what he would have pictured. Before either could act, a deafening boom drew both men's attention. Vago glanced back at the city to see a projectile from one of the railguns rip through the high, gray city walls like a bullet through tissue paper. In an instant, a whole section of the wall disintegrated into a spray of dust and rock. Behind that, a crumbling building shuddered and collapsed. Vago could only imagine the chaos behind the walls now. Those weapons really could level the entire city in a matter of minutes. He turned and slugged the Perfunduloi man in the face. The native warrior fell to the ground, and Vago started to run for the railguns. A couple of warriors tried to stop him, but Vago moved with a quick, graceful ease that didn't even break his momentum. He hit the first man with a right jab in the sternum. He stepped forward with his left foot, rotated his body, and threw his right elbow into the next man's throat. A third made a motion towards him, and Vago simply lowered his shoulder and ran at full speed. Vago easily plowed through the warrior, who rolled off into the grass. It was only a few seconds since the railgun fired, and Vago was sprinting in open ground. He reached a rounded rock and used it as another launch point. This jump was much more accurate and would bring him just a few meters away from ten marines clustered around the artillery weapon. At the height of his jump, he drew his guns. The marines were so focused on the weapon and the walls ahead of them that they didn't see Vago flying in the air toward their position. He only had a few moments before they did. 
Vago started firing. The first few shots were well aimed and hit at least four of the Marines, two of them fatally. After that, Vago just started emptying the clips. These shots were not intended to injure as much as they were to cause confusion and fear and to keep the Marines off balance until Vago landed. Still, he managed to wound a couple in the process. His guns clicked empty just moments before he landed. He rolled and holstered them. He saw a Marine running in a blind panic a few meters ahead. At the same time, the soldier saw Vago and raised his assault weapon to fire. Vago was on him before he managed to get a shot off. He grabbed the barrel of the gun and landed a right jab on the man's throat with enough force to collapse his windpipe. The Marine staggered backward and released his grip on the gun. Vago followed up by clubbing the man across the head with the butt of the rifle. Vago shouldered the weapon and moved forward. The Marines around the railgun were just starting to recover from the attack and swarmed around with their own rifles raised. Vago saw them first, and he had time to aim and fire his weapon. Three bursts of automatic fire took down one, two, and then a third Marine. Vago crouched in the grass and watched the railgun. The immediate area was clear, although he did see a few Marines retreating into the distance. Corporation military was famously easy to break. They looked tough, but when bullets started flying and blood was shed, they ran. The corporation paid them enough to walk around with a big-ass gun looking tough. It didn't pay enough for people to put their lives on the line. Still, there was the occasional misplaced hero. When Vago approached the back of the railgun, he found a young man cowering behind it. Vago figured he'd pinned him down, and the soldier was still there out of fear. When Vago got close, however, the man pulled his field knife and lunged at him. The blade clanged against the barrel of the gun, and Vago jumped back. The man pressed his advantage and slashed for Vago's chest. The Martian used his assault rifle to block the attack, but the force caused him to lose his grip on it. The man went to slash again, but this time, Vago was ready. Before the soldier could lunge, Vago grabbed his wrist and broke the man's arm above the elbow with his other hand. The Marine yelled in pain, and Vago snatched the knife away and plunged it through the man's ribcage. The soldier looked shocked, and then his eyes rolled back into his head, and he fell. There was nobody around the railgun anymore, but it was hot and ready to fire. All it needed was a target. Vago pulled the gun around, pointed at the next railgun over, and fired. The sonic boom was louder than a shuttle launch. The artillery kicked so hard that it pushed Vago to the ground and knocked the wind out of him. The shot was a direct hit. Vago got up and smiled as the second railgun disappeared in a plume of dirt and debris. Pieces of the weapon rained down around the field, along with some pieces of the soldiers around it. There was no time to celebrate his victory. He got this far by the element of surprise alone. That had just been blown apart as spectacularly as the railgun. He picked up the assault rifle and emptied the rest of the bullets into the electrical components. They exploded in a shower of white-hot sparks. It was unlikely that this gun could be repaired with the limited resources available on Titan. That was enough. Two guns down, two left. He grabbed some clips from one of the dead soldiers, reloaded the rifle, and stuck a couple more in his jacket pocket. It was safer to move through the forest now. 
There was a lot more cover, plus a chance to sneak up on someone. He sprinted for safety and heard bullets thunk against tree trunks. From there, he moved towards the next objective. Most of the marines were focused on the events in front of them. There were two holes in the city wall now. Somehow, in the haze of battle, they managed to get a shot off without him noticing. Already the front formations of the Perfenduloi advanced into the breaks. Screams and gunfire were becoming apparent even where he was standing. Vago moved as quickly as he could through the dense foliage, using the cover to his advantage. He killed marines looking for him, and, when he could, he also picked off those too distracted by the events near the city wall. He paused just behind the third railgun to collect himself and reload. The forest around him grew darker as the sun started to disappear behind the ringed planet. Just a few minutes left of daylight before the eclipse plunged the battlefield into darkness and only a few minutes before they'd find out if the Houston's predictions carried anything but hot air. He paused for a moment. He still didn't feel the rush of pure adrenaline that he usually associated with battle. There was something cold and distant about the way he fought. There was no thrill, no sense of honor and glory, just the cold, bloody reality of systematic murder. Still, it seemed to be effective. Maybe Althea was right. Maybe he didn't need the drugs to fight. He just needed them to enjoy the bloodshed. He emerged from the forest, firing full automatic at the marines, clustered around the third railgun. Most were oblivious to him and fell down dead under the rain of bullets. Those who didn't ran from their post. By the time Vago emptied his clip, this railgun was abandoned as well. Vago examined the weapon. This one was recently fired, and just beginning to charge again. He saw some movement out of the corner of his eye. He turned to see the last railgun pointing in his direction. The distant, piercing screech told him that it was fully charged. He swore and bolted for the trees again, but it was too late. There was a roar, like hell itself erupting from the ground. Then, for a few moments, there was nothing. They were standing there. Why were they just standing there? The whole city held their ground in front of the gates that were still closed. Even when the shells from the railguns burst through the towering walls like a bullet through a watermelon, even as the buildings around them collapsed and showered the crowd with chunks of concrete and steel, even as the first of the Perfendule warriors ascended the rubble and began firing into the crowd, they just stood. Althea rushed into the crowd, gripped with a need to save just a few, maybe even one. Gunfire echoed between the buildings as she pushed her way through the waiting crowd. It wasn't long before she came upon a man laying on the ground. His face was streaked with blood, where something, maybe a chunk of debris or a bullet, had hit him. She knelt beside him. Can you stand? More gunshots. Althea looked up and saw five Perfendule warriors standing on the top of the rebel that used to be part of the wall. They fired shots into the crowd while they threw rocks, bolo snares, and anything they could at them. One gunman, hit in the head with a rock, fell back, but the rest kept firing. She took the man by the arm. I'm going to get you out of here! The man pulled his arm out of her grasp. No! 
Me attendance! Althea tried again, but the man pulled away and said, with a certain finality, Me attendance! Althea stood and backed away. Everyone around her just stood watching the sky. Over the wall, a sliver of the sun still showed from behind Saturn. Vega woke up looking at the orange clouds of Titan. The disk of the sun was almost completely hidden behind Saturn. Gunshots rang in the air all around him. The events of the last few seconds flashed in his brain. He had been knocked out, but thankfully, only for a matter of seconds. He rolled onto his stomach and felt an agonizing, fiery pain in his side. He lifted his body just enough to see a bloodstain spreading in his clothes and dripping into the grass. He must have been hit by a piece of shrapnel. He wiggled his toes and realized, with some relief, that they were still there. He looked for the assault rifle, but couldn't find it. His attention focused to the gunfire around him. Bullets whizzed in all directions, but no one fired directly at him. In the deep grass, Vega was invisible and presumed dead. Where the third railgun had been a moment ago, there was a deep, smoldering crater. It was better cover than he had now. He started crawling on his stomach towards it. Every movement felt like he was tearing the wound in his side deeper. He reached the crater and tumbled in. He slid in the wet, muddy ground about halfway into the hole. He flipped onto his back and unholstered one of his handguns and replaced the spent clip. As it snapped into place, a couple of marines appeared over the lip of the crater. Vago calmly aimed his gun and fired. He hit both in the head, and they were dead before their bodies slid to the muddy bottom. Vega maneuvered his way to the other side of the hole so he could peek over at the fourth railgun and its crew. As soon as his head appeared over the top, several marines fired. He quickly ducked back into the hole, but he continued to hear gunfire from the direction of the railgun. He pulled up his sleeve to look at the display on his arrow suit. By some miracle, it was not damaged. He raised his wrist to his mouth and said, Call Althea! He waited a moment and heard Althea's voice in his ear. Vago, are you okay? Vago gulped. I'm hurt. I'm hurt bad. They got me pinned down, and I don't think I'm getting out of here. He heard the whine of the railgun charging. Before Althea could respond, he continued. You and Ease are going to find a way to disable that last gun. If you can't, evacuate the area. Go back to base camp. Where are you? said Althea. Vago winced. Just do as I say. Forget about me. You gotta take care of yourself. The fading light dimmed to black as the last sliver of the sun disappeared behind Saturn. The rings brilliantly lit the sky while the gas giant itself appeared as black as a sphere of flint. Another pause, and Althea said, Vago, there's something happening. Something was happening. Kronos scanned the matrices as, row by row, the numbers changed, and then whole programs shut down. Kronos closed out that part of the program and tried to access new parts of the system. But as fast as he could pull new data up from the servers below, they froze and stopped transmitting. 
Was there something physically wrong with the server farms? Kronos got up and walked over to the edge of the catwalk. He had gotten used to the soft steps of the acolytes below, along with the small sounds of their work, but now it was completely silent. The acolytes, that seemed a constant fixture wandering the space in between the servers, were absent. Kronos sat back down. It was strange. The maintenance of this computer system was, as near as he could figure, the entire purpose of those people's existence. They were priests, tending to the god of the machine. If something was wrong, why would they leave? The simple answer was that nothing was wrong. Kronos gripped the edge of the chair as the entire building started vibrating. Vago peeked over the lip of the crater again. The battle just stopped. Dead. As if somebody had gone out there and called a timeout on account of the darkness. The marines nearest him pointed at the city, specifically the golden pyramid that glowed even in the darkness. Four panels that formed the cap spread apart and slid down the side of the pyramid, and several dark figures jumped up from the now-exposed top. They shot into the clouds, one or two at a time, just seconds apart. He knew immediately what he was seeing, although he was not sure he could or wanted to believe it. It was the Venganto, the avenging angels that the Houston talked about in his speech. Vago figured it to be a myth or a story. Something to tell the kitties while tucking them into bed. Don't be afraid, little one. The Venganto watch over us. That sort of thing. The forest people attacking the city seemed to know it too. As fast as they charged the holes, they turned and ran back toward Vago, back toward the safety of the forest. As they did, he saw the dark figures in the skies overhead, moving so fast that he could only make out flashes of movement against the clouds. They started diving towards the fleeing soldiers, and everywhere they did, flashes of light and fountains of flame erupted. Vago started to crawl out of the hole, still holding the spot in his guts where the piece of shrapnel hit him. He got up and started stumbling forward toward the city, keeping a low profile so one of those things in the sky didn't mark him as a hostile. The Perf and Duloy were running past him in desperation. He shielded his eyes from two bursts of flame and ignored the agonized screams from the poor bastards caught in the blast. It was brutal, but it was war. Nobody should ever feel bad about going home after a war, no matter what happened to those who didn't. That's what he told himself as he staggered forward, thinking fond thoughts about a soft bed, Althea's face, and some drugs that would make reality feel a whole lot better. One of the forest people ran at him, but stumbled and fell hard in the mud. Vigo was going to walk right on by until he noticed a bolo snare around the man's legs. He got out of the way just as three Urbanoi people, not soldiers, just citizens by the look of them, pulled the man to his feet. One took a club and gave the Perfunduloi man a blow to the gut that Vago could almost feel where he stood. He turned his head away and kept staggering forward. He tried to focus his mind on rest for his sore muscles, medication for his wound, and maybe a touch of triple T for his mind. Nearby, he watched one of the forest people take a blow to the head so hard he swore he could hear the crack of bone splintering. The man had his hands tied behind him, and he crumbled to the ground like someone had just let the air out of him. 
an Urbano soldier grabbed the man by the arm and started dragging him back to the city. Vago pushed himself forward toward the gates. Isra could fix this. That was her job. His job was to kill things. That was what he was good at. Isra's job was to get people to link arms and sing happy songs. And if everywhere he looked on this bloody field, he saw people who had just fought a brave and noble battle, beaten down and put in a slaver's chains, well, that was just the way things were going to be. A jolt in his side reminded him that he was in no state to do anything about it anyway. A young Perfendule man, just barely old enough to grow the scraggly beginnings of a beard, came running up at him, chased by a small pack of Urbano citizens. He was wild-eyed with fear and seemed to call out to Vago. He wanted to say to the kid, Sorry, this is war. I can't help you. The citizens caught up to him. One threw his arm around the boy's neck, while another hit him in the sternum with his club. Even through the wails and the din of battle, Vago heard the boy scream. Vago limped forward, thinking, Ain't no good gonna come from me getting in the middle of this. I'll find a way to help you and yours later. The boy fell in the mud. The citizens went to pick him up. Sorry, kid. I want to help, but... The citizens pulled the kid to his feet, and he locked eyes with Vago for one heartbreaking moment. Vago's mind flashed back to the refinery, the blood-stained concrete, the bursts of scalding steam, and the emaciated forest people running for freedom. Vago realized why the term rescued had such an unsettling tone. He also realized what the future had in store for this kid if Vago didn't do anything. Damn it. Fine. Vago pulled one of his guns from his shoulder holster. If the citizens even knew Vago was standing where he was, they didn't show it. They just started dragging the Perfendula youth away when Vago fired off a shot. Then another. Then another. Three city people slumped to the ground dead, and a fourth gasped in horror and ran. Vago took the kid by the arm and bolted for the tree line. The pain in his side was so intense that it made him dizzy, and every bone and muscle screamed in protest as they worked against the arrow suit, but Vago kept running. It was an old cliché. There was no way he could stop the Urbanoi taking who they liked and throwing him to that hell of a refinery to die, but if he could save one, just one, well, maybe he'd quiet the guilt twisting in his gut enough to get himself fixed up. Out past the immediate vicinity of the walls, the Venganto mopped up the few pockets of resistance that remained in the field, mostly clusters of Perfenduloi, who hadn't made it to the safety of the forest yet. The dark field was lit up by bursts of flame as Vago dragged the kid to safety. Under the forest canopy, it felt like a different world. The darkness and quiet were all enveloping. The thunderous roar of the Venganto attacks, the screams and war cries seemed a long way off. Vago stopped to catch his breath and looked at the kid. Even though he couldn't understand a word, Vago said, You're safe. Get going. The boy got real scared all of a sudden. He backed away and shouted something at Vago. Damn it, boy. Keep quiet. Keep low and... Something crashed down on Vago's head and rattled his brain inside his skull like a bell clapper. The next thing he was aware of, he was face down in the thick Titanian mud. Someone was sitting on his legs, pulling his arms behind him and tying them with some sort of rope. There was arguing in the native language. He couldn't make it out, but the tempo and volume and the back-and-forth discussion held all the marks of a heated debate. Two more people, 
older forest men, it turned out, pulled Vago to his knees and started to lift him to his feet. One Perfunduloi with a spear prodded Vago's chest with the butt and hit one of his guns in the shoulder holster. Veja! Almanoi! Guto! Two other men reached inside Vago's jacket and relieved him of his weapons. After that, they all continued to pat him down while the kid he just saved looked at him on the verge of tears. So, that was the way it was going to be. Vega was a prisoner. He contemplated making a run for it, getting a good sprint and a long jump. Chances were he could do it fast enough that they wouldn't follow. Then, the throbbing pain and lightheadedness came back to him. He was badly injured and was losing blood. When they were finished, the one with the spear prodded Vago in the back of the leg with the point. Vago started walking into the darkness of the forest, escorted by the men as their prisoner. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.